Well, good afternoon. My name is Jeff Fuller, uh, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, hopeforvermont.org. And uh, pleased to have another interview, first interview of this new year. And many of you are aware of my wife's situation with cancer. And we just thank you for all of your continued prayers. But now as we've acclimated or adjusted to the new normal, um, I just wanted to get on and bring on some of the voices that inspire, but that God continues to use just to bring uh, value into our lives and meaning in, uh, in this time of trial. And one that does so very, very well is Dr. Lyon. Dr. Lyon, thank you so much for being a part. Thank you. I'm honored uh, to be with you today. Um, and also, I mean, we, I was I was journeying with you, with your wife and her struggle with cancer and i'm grateful for how god has answered prayer uh it's been a wonderful thing to see and well, thank, uh, so thank you well thank you and uh, yeah at 41 hearing the diagnosis of stage three cancer it can be alarming but um so, we're just grateful for the church at large that uh that just prays and intercedes and i want to start right there um being the former general superintendent of the wesleyan denomination mm -hmm. It might not mean so much to others that are unfamiliar with the Wesleyan denomination, but I know your testimony will hit to the heart of uh, what we're speaking to. And if you could just return, when did you first figure out that Jesus was real and that you needed to make him Lord of your life? That's a great question, Jeff, because I was raised in the church. Uh, both of my parents were ordained ministers. So I was almost born in the middle of a revival meeting. Uh, and uh, so one can be, there's a certain sense, I think that people can just be inoculated with uh, church, with the gospel, you hear it, you think you know everything. Um, but there was a time in my teenage years where I really knew I needed to come, I really needed to start a journey with really my own personal journey with God in a sense, but really, the real depth of really that that second step of really giving my all to God in every way, shape or form didn't happen until I was in my early 20s. And my husband and I were in our first church pastoring. Uh, now, uh, I we went to the church to pastor. I it, we both graduated from college. I had a teaching degree, so I was teaching school and we took this little church that nobody wanted, of course. And uh, um, and they had they had a nice building but no people, <laughs> but we thought that was great. We were just loved to be able to have an opportunity and God did bless and the church grew. And I re well remember going there and thinking, well, I can do this. You no, know, I've watched my mother do this. I can play the piano. I can do kids church. I can do all the stuff that, that, that seems to be outlined for the pastor's spouse. And um, so, but I, the more I did it and taught school and all that, there was a, a constant, there was became a constant unrest in my own heart that there's got to be more than this. And um, uh, and I really began to resent going to church and didn't like the people. That's kind of bad. You can't keep doing that when you're the pastor, you know? And um, uh, and it, it, it really, be, it, in fact, it e even impacted me physically. I would be sick on Sunday mornings when it was time to go to church and didn't want to go and et cetera. But, and I, I well remember thinking, well, I know everything there is to know. so. You know, I know all about it. I've been raised in the church. I know I've heard all the sermons. I know everything. But there was still that hunger in my heart. Uh, and God placed that hunger so strong. I even became ill, was taken to the hospital even more. And it wasn't Sunday morning either. <laughs> and um, 
uh, and uh, and my husband had wanted me to read this book by Catherine Marshall called Beyond Ourselves. It's a book out of print many, many years. But in that book, she began to talk about there was something more that that we that God wanted to do in us than we could see. Now, I'd heard those words. You know, I'd heard that a lot of times. But somehow it began to meet the hunger of my heart. Um, and in the hospital, I asked him to bring it and and I thought, oh, well, I don't think she can teach me anything because after all, I know everything there is to know. Um, but as I began to read it, the interesting chapter that captured me was a chapter called Ego Slaying. Mm -hmm. Now, well, I, my, I don't have any problem with that. But as I began to read that chapter, God just brought those things right out of that book. It was as if he put all that, my pride, my self-sufficiency, uh, my uh, 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 ego of wanting to do all kinds of things and be important, all those kinds of things. It was as if God just put it on a, on a screen in front of me. And literally, Jeff, I began to confess. I really had never confessed much before because I, I didn't, I, you know, I'd never been a prostitute or a stripper or something like that, that people think, well, that's the bad stuff. Um, and, uh, and as I began to confess, I realized my sins my sins of self-righteousness hmm. were as egregious as the kinds of sins I just mentioned um, and began to confess that and confess that. And as I confessed, I became hungry for God. I would like to say, oh, automatically he just filled me. No, there was a greater hunger. And I got to the place, though, God allowed me to be so hungry that I didn't want anything else in this world but God. I wanted nothing else. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter anything. I just wanted to be a God. I just wanted to know God in his fullness. Um, and, you know, God does meet that. And he does it in different ways. It, it does, not everyone. I think too many times we get caught up in a certain personal or emotional experience that that's the answer. But God meets meets us in ways that are, are, are specific to us. I mean, I think of John Wesley's heartwarming experience, right. you know. Um, well, mine was a little more than heartwarming, but it it was the same thing. So it's where um, where we, uh, he meets us, what works with us. And so th that Wednesday night, I went, we had little church services on Wednesday night. I generally didn't like to go, heard the same testimonies every Wednesday night, and they're always boring. Um, and, um, and, but I drug myself to go because I was sure. I was sure that, you know, whatever my hunger for God was, was not going to be there at that place then. <laughs> so I would just do it. Well, I was surprised and God continually surprises. I love N.T. writes uh, many of his books about surprised by hope, surprised uh, because it is a surprise how God meets us. And we were singing an old hymn that night. Hallelujah. I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. And, and God just poured his, his presence all over me that night. Well, Dr. Lyon, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I read, too, that you grew up in Oklahoma. Being up here in Vermont, as liberal as the Northeast is, my parents did a good job of positively, I would say, sheltering me from some of those outside forces. Uh -huh. uh, for you, how important is it that Christian parents allow their kids to see the outside world, so to speak, but also have that deep-rooted foundation that when they do come to that crisis of belief, that they turn to Jesus. 
That's a very good question uh, because sometimes we can shelter people so much uh, that they, like I said, it was like I knew everything. So, and I sort of defined what sins were and what they were. Uh, and so that's what, what hindered me from uh, really realizing it was God that I was looking for. Um, I, that, a great question. And, you know, of course I was raised many, many years ago and we have very many, and I raised my own kids a few years ago, but still at this day, many, many, many other things that, that creep in. I think one of the things, if, if parents can really help children to value other people, how can you love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, that's a principle that I find uh, we can talk about. We can, we can frighten kids to death about another, a lot of things. And I agree. I'm not wide open say, Oh, try every, I'm not about that. But somehow can we embed in our children what it means to love someone who's different than you? How can we love our neighbor as ourselves? That is so good and so important. And I think that's what discipleship is all about, not just taking in information, but using right. that information in practical life. Exactly. Uh, quick background about myself and the church that I'm pastoring now, uh -huh. Living Hope Wesleyan Church. We were part of the standard denomination mm -hmm. that uh, merged with the Wesleyans about 20 years or so ago. But here in Vermont, with only two Wesleyan local churches, sometimes mm -hmm. people wonder, what is a Wesleyan? Mm -hmm. So for you, what would you say is a Wesleyan? Well, you know, it's interesting because I've been in a lot of venues, I mean, a lot of secular venues, and 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 many times in, introduced as the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church. So what is a Wesleyan Church? And I, I two things I talk about the Wesleyan Church is that uh, we were, we began during the abolitionist movement. Um, and and be, we left the Methodist church uh, because of abolition. And we believed that slavery was evil and needed to be abolished. And so we started in that with that premise, that that also meant what the scriptures taught, let justice roll down like a river. Righteousness is a never failing stream because we believe people should live a righteous life as well. It wasn't just uh, a, a, a just a political issue, yeah. but it was about our, it was about our faith. It was about what the scriptures taught and that's how we needed to stay focused. And then I also tell the story of that. We were the first woman to be ordained in the United States in 1859 was ordained by the founder of the Wesleyan Methodist church. So we, and, and then other churches that merged with us were about the poor. So we really were following the words of Jesus in uh, that all people are, are made in his image. Uh, I mean, God, all people are made in, in the image of God. And then uh, the big four, as I refer to it, uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are to, to look after the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the alien. Yeah. Um, and and then then Jesus' very words when he was ordained uh, in Luke 4, that those uh, gospel to the poor, uh, good news to the poor, uh, freedom to prisoners, sight to the blind, and setting the oppressed free. So those are, that's how I describe who we are. And so that Dr. comes out of our, out of holy living. Yes. Yeah. So jumping ahead, you become the general superintendent. First of all, in 08, you were one of several uh, general superintendents, but then I believe that it was 2012 that you became the solo or the only general superintendent. First question, when you were younger, 
Did you feel as though God had a special calling on your life for something like that? And you just followed his steps? Or was that something that kind of came just out of his will that you just felt like, wow, I never thought of this before, but I'm going to walk in that direction? Totally what you said, the second one. Hmm. In his will. I never sat around and thought, someday I'm going to be the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church. That was absolutely the furthest thing from my mind. I had no aspirations for that at all. I believe that God called me. Um, uh, actually, when I was five years old, uh, we had we lived in Oklahoma. My father was a district superintendent, and uh, it was a segregated town. Um, and every Wednesday, a woman, uh, African American woman, would come to pick up our trash. I never saw people of color any other time except that Wednesday morning. I would constantly ask my parents. Where is she? Where does she come from? Finally, one day, my father said, OK, I'm going to take you out there. And I'd never seen such the pavement ended. The dirt road began. And here was a whole town that I did not even know existed next to my town. And in those days, it was called Colored Town. Yeah. Uh, and I asked immediately, why don't do they can can we have them come to our church? And my father said, oh, no, no, they have their own church. And I said, well, well, why don't they come to my school? And he said, oh, they have their own school. Those answers never satisfied me. And so I think from that day on, and there are many incidences in between, where I sense that God put a call in my heart about the least of these and about justice and, and, and how, we, how that works together in our faith uh, together. And that's so good. And I'd like to touch on that in a little bit. But right now, I just want to bring up uh, World Hope, worldhope.org. This is an organization organization that you began. And I think you just explained why uh, you started it. It's just from being um, a young girl that was impacted. Can you just talk about the difference it makes to have Christians put their uh, faith into action and to reach out, whether it's across the street or across the world, to show God's love in a practical way? You know what? I That's a great question, Jeff, because I've always said the cup of cold water. Remember, Jesus said you give a cup of cold water. The cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus is a different cup of cold water. It has the power of God in it. And it's, it's difficult to measure. Um, many times in the work of World Hope, we, we I talk about a triple bottom line. We have the impact that it's made. And we have, of course, the financial pieces. But the third bottom line is the spiritual impact and how people have, and the, the multiplication of that impact. I'm, I want to tell you, I see that multiplication of the impact over and over and over again with the resources and how God multiplies it in amazing ways. Yeah, it's spectacular. And it's something that I was told by several, uh, again, I'm relatively new to the Wesleyan denomination, but mm -hmm. with your leadership in particular, it was to take the spiritual into the practical of the social justice. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I've heard that you've been criticized about doing so. How did you get through when you're leading and trying to do what God's telling you to do, but you're also receiving criticism for doing what you believe God's telling you to do? Well, you know what? You just push on. Uh, you push through. There's pushback, but you push through because you know you're following the scriptures. If it were, if you were trying to, you know, be on a partisan politi political piece, that's a different story. But when you are uh, following the scriptures, uh, and that's what I say, uh, we, we, 
you know, if in we, all of this has become very political these days, uh, but partisan politics, I mean, mm-hmm. but you'll never be following Jesus if you're on either side, Republican or Democrat. It is how you see you live out the scriptures. And generally you just keep pushing through. Sometimes it will be, it will favor a Democrat. Sometimes it will favor a Republican, but it is following Jesus and pushing right on through. Reminds me of um, uh, when I, the, my first time in Cambodia in 1996, uh, there were many, many motor, I mean, it seemed like a million motorbikes. Uh, and there was no rhyme or reason except the drivers knew what they were doing. And so I remember uh, a friend that I was with there said, tomorrow now, and, and I rode motorbikes too, but someone else was driving, of course, I didn't know how to drive it. Um, and um, he said, it's gonna be across the street. And I thought, oh my word, I'll never make it across that street. He said, no, I'll go with you. But he said, I'll tell you what, you don't ever look at the drivers coming at you. They will watch out for you. You keep your eyes on the other side of the street. They will know then where you're going and you just keep going. Oh, that's so good. And uh, you were on a webinar with Dr. Carl Eastlack, uh, my uh, district superintendent. I enjoy him so much. But you were just sharing how God has led you all over the world. You've met not only presidents, but dignitaries all over the world. Do you have a story of uh, one time where you were just had to pinch yourself because you were just amazed at the room that God had allowed you to be a part of? You know, that's a great question. Um, I've always felt like any room I'm in is not because I'm there, but I'm there to represent people who could not have a voice to be there. Uh, And so I, um, I continue to see it that way. Um, And I kind of a little funny one uh, was I was in, in on world AIDS day, I was with president George Bush and Laura, and this is always a big thing that they did World AIDS Day, because if you remember, President Bush really took on yeah. the whole issue of AIDS, HIV AIDS, and um, and we World Hope received money uh, in that initiative also because he wanted faith-based groups in it, and so we were there. So I was in that room, uh, and actually I was invited twice uh, to World AIDS Day, but the second time, and he knew, I mean, he acted like he knew me. I don't know if he did or not, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so as he's going around. Um, he said, um, well, he said, my, my assistant press secretary is getting ready to go to Zambia with world hope. I didn't know a thing about it. And he said, um, and so we're, we're going to see some good stuff. And he said that to somebody else, not even to me. (laughs) Um, and I'll never forget. I can hardly concentrate the rest of that meeting because I was saying, my goodness, do we know who it is? Do we? And so as soon as I got back to the office, I asked, person who was in charge and she, and she looked it up. He had never put his name that he was at the white house at all. He just said he worked for the government. I said, whatever we do, make his trip (laughs) the best, make it the best, make it the best. (laughs) So I have a question for you. And I guess getting into the, the nuts and bolts, because I look at, um, well, pastor Kevin Myers or Dan Ryland and some of these uh, gentlemen that are at large churches, but the Mm -hmm. majority of, well, any church, but the Wesleyan church are smaller. Uh, what would you say to us, myself included, that we want to be faithful, but in an effort to be so fruitful, sometimes we depend too much on our own strength or our own agenda instead mm-hmm. of reliance on the Holy Spirit? I could not agree with you more on that, Jeff. 
I think we all need, we all need strategic plan. I mean, you need a plan. Um, when I first came in as general superintendent, uh, I realized that many churches had no plans. And I'm not talking about a fancy strategic plan. I'm just talking about, even, I'm talking about small churches who didn't. And so I just started saying, you, we've got to have a goal. Every church has got to have a goal. How many people do you hope to have in attendance? How many people do you hope to be converted? And how many people do you hope to baptize? Yeah. And uh, uh, and I remember people saying to me, well, I, I don't even know. So I just said, I, get with your board, pray. See if God gives you, comes to some kind of a number. And I know, I know we don't like to talk about numbers and we gripe about that and all that, but ultimately those are people. Uh, and I know we can get all caught in the butts and budgets, as they say. Um, but at the same time, if we don't have any people, we don't, you know, so, so it's a, it's a kind of conundrum there. And I understand about micro churches, house and all this kind of thing. I'm all about that. It's still about people. So I just began to, to um, ask people. And so then I said, this is my first year in there. I was just crazy. And so I just said, uh, and I'm asking you to give a number, your number to your district superintendent by se September 15th. And if you haven't done that, I'm going to call you. <laughs> I sounded like some big mother, you know, who's out there going to punish everybody. Um, but at the same time, it worked. And I remember one pastor coming to me. He had had almost no converts no baptisms for years. And I was at this district conference and he stood up and he was crying and he gave his report. Uh, I mean, he didn't have to give a public report, but he said, I want to share this. And he said, I, our board met and we decided that God was calling us to see one new person come to Christ every week. Hmm. And he said, we all thought this was ridiculous, but we have prayed. And he cried then and he said i just want to tell you that last week the 54th person came to jesus through our ministry wow and he said but had we not said here is what we feel god's saying he said we would have just waited you wait to see what happens mm -hmm. so you can't do it by yourself i think you bring your board along with you and you engage the people to begin to to pray with you I think those are the those are the main pieces in this to just and the Holy Spirit works. You know, we believe in prevenient grace. So I hate it when somebody says, I'm going to go to blah, 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 <laughs> particularly up in the Northeast. I'll bet I hear these. This stuff. I'm going to go up to Maine and and take God with me. Well, guess what? God's already there. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go to Vermont, you know, evangelize all these heathen New Englanders. Well, God's already there. And his, his grace is, provenient grace is calling them, calling them. So we don't have to worry that we have to be uh, God's conviction and grace. He's already doing it. We just need to be the people to do the welcoming. That's so good. And uh, I ask this next question very cautiously and respectfully, but with all of the news that has come out regarding Ravi Zacharias, I just wonder sometimes if when pastors do things on their own, if they're more susceptible to this sort of temptation. First of all, putting back on your general superintendent hat, mm -hmm. how, how do you process restoration and reconciliation? We've had friends that have fallen morally in this manner, mm -hmm. but also holding people accountable. I, I really believe that vulnerability is great, but only effective if there's accountability. 
putting on that GS hat, how do you view these issues? You are exactly right. Accountability. And this is the piece. I've worked many of these uh, group, many, I guess you could call them cases. I hate to call them that way, but uh, with, with people, but part of the hat, part of the problem is, is the accountability. And when a person begins to think they are so important, and I want to stop here a minute, Jeff, because we have to be careful. We feed that to them. We make the people think they're so important that, that they can do no wrong. And uh, as I've said many times, we write the script that the people that the, the, the top level people that fall, we write that script and they keep reading and living out that script. And, uh, and so therefore anyone that's responsible for them for accountability, they do not have the courage to really call this person into accountability because after all, this person is so famous that they don't want to be the person to quote unquote, bring them down. Right. Um, and, and I see, but I see this also in, in smaller places, people that aren't, aren't famous, uh, that accountability has not been built in and there has to be honest accountability. So I'm, I'm a strong believer in the accountability process. That's so good. And, and, and um, accountability can't be your best friend. No, you know. we used to we used to say that an accountability partner is not one that says, "Oh, I struggle with that too." That's that's, that's right. Not the that's not the best way to you make progress. Are, you are exactly right. It has to be people that really uh, will hold you accountable and uh, and and speak and speak. So, Dr. Lyon, my son is a freshman in college. I wish he was taking more classes, but online he struggled with. My daughter is a junior in high school, and they seem to have a good foundation, but they're still trying to figure out how can I make an impact for God, but how can I still fit in? This kind of returns to our earlier conversation that we mm -hmm. had. How did you raise your children with your husband just so that they knew God created them as a masterpiece, mm -hmm. but during the temptation, they would have to stand and sometimes stand alone? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, part of it, I, 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 we were pretty strong about helping them to understand the rest of the world. Um, and if they could ground themselves, not in that the end of life was this, little high school that they were, or the end of life was this little college where they were their first year or whatever, but they had a, had an opportunity for the whole world. The whole world was out there. Um, that helped begin to, I think, give them a broader context of what could be ahead hmm. and they didn't have to fall for whatever was immediate in that particular context. Yeah, I think yeah. that's, that's one thing. Uh, second is, um, when they, again, when they can see themselves, um, uh, that it, that whatever happens isn't that there's there greater things ahead. They, it isn't an immediate piece. Yeah. And that's yeah. real hard because kids think immediately that's just part of their, 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 uh, they haven't yet formed many of those other concepts. So you're constantly talking about, Oh, this isn't immediate. There's something, this isn't so important. Sorry that you didn't make it the, and I, I mean, I had to deal with that. You didn't make the basketball team. I know that's, it's terrible. And I, you, you understand that, yeah. but, 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 you know, just think about it and you try to paint a picture of where something may be later. Yeah. 
That's so good. Um, and then I just want to, I guess I'm springing this on you, and it's God is in the loss. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. years ago, we're a small church in uh, Central Vermont, but I officiated 13 funerals the following year, 11 funerals. Uh, we have our assistant pastor, uh, his wife just had a miscarriage. We have three people within our congregation suffering from cancer. Oh, and wow. it seemed as though God gave me this expression, but I'm trying to figure out mm-hmm. what it means. God is in the loss. And I heard, I forget who said it, but the ministry of God's presence. Could you specifically speak mm-hmm. to the ministry of God's presence being with us? Well, that is true. I wrote a book called The Ultimate Blessing. And the very first chapter is about the blessing of presence. Uh, and um, I, I, and God is, that's such a good, good line you have there, Jeffrey. God is in the loss. Um, but it's about your being present there in that, in that time as a pastor, as a spiritual leader. They need to hear from the spiritual leader, not just their grandma and their uncle. But the spiritual leader, because in a sense, you are standing there in God's place. Uh, and I, I just can't say that enough. But where I this really grasped, got a hold of me on that ministry of presence. Uh, and I, I would just want to say in all of the loss, many times when we're with people, we want to. Well, I don't know what to say. You don't need to say anything. Your presence there and and recognize that it's painful, you know, mm-hmm. Um, I think too many times we want to quote a bunch of scripture verses and we all know that, but right at that moment, it's painful. I had a sister killed in a car accident when I was 16 years old and um, my mother also was driving and they didn't think she would live either. Um, But however she did, however, she's in the hospital for three months. But I well remember when I look back and I'm old now, that's a long time ago. But when I look back at the people that I, uh, that meant the most to me during those times, I have no idea what they said. Um, and and those that wanted to preach me a sermon, I remember just thinking, just, of course I was 16 too, uh, but just shut up. I don't want to hear that, you know. Yeah. But the ones I remember the most were just ones who were with me. They just sat with me. Um, but I learned this even another time as an adult uh, during the war in Sierra Leone, um, I was in the refugee camps. And uh, we, in the Wesleyan Church, uh, we had, had thousands of people during in that war that were impacted by the war, literally thousands and thousands. We have a large, one of the largest uh, Protestant, Protestant denominations in the country of Sierra Leone. And, um, and thousands of them were in the refugee camps. So I was in the refugee camp. And uh, I, as I was seeing the people, I'll never forget what they, and they all had a big group that came together, they sang and et cetera. But the words that I kept hearing more and more and more was not any profound thing I said because I didn't, I for sure didn't say anything profound. But as they came up to me, they kept saying, thank you. Thank you. We thought we had been forgotten. Wow. Dr. Lyon, before we let you go, I have uh, one statement and I think there's a question in here somewhere and then we'll close with this. But um, I've often said or be reminded that growing up isn't all it's cracked up to be. But I can't remember if it was John Maxwell or someone that said, I want to get better with age. I don't want to get bitter over time. How have you continued to stay focused on Jesus, even though 
you've seen such heartbreak and heartache across the world and even in your personal life? You know, that's again, Jeff, Jeffrey, a very great question. Um, it is about, it is about staying focused on Jesus. It's also about, uh, about really staying in touch with how God has worked down through history. If we aren't careful, we'll get stuck in one place, but he's, he, and, and, and the, the text, someone just wrote something about how horrible everything was. And I said, have we forgotten about what Paul wrote in Romans 12? We overcome evil with good. He's called us to confront evil. You know, no, it's a power of God to confront that. So we don't just lay down and say, oh, it's terrible, terrible. Um, and the other piece is, I, I'm learning this more and more every day about falling in love with Jesus. And that means you can't carry everything. And sometimes we just stop and fall in love with Jesus. Uh, and, and many times that comes through a hymn that comes to your mind. And that is Jesus speaking to us and saying, just focus on me right now. And, and I recently had an experience like that. And I, in fact, I'll just quickly share it. Um, and going through some kind of difficult things. And I was getting ready to turn out the light to go to bed. And the words of these hymn, this hymn came to my mind. Uh, before the throne, my surety stands. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his mm -hmm. hand. Now, that's a Charles Wesley song. Now, I grew up way back when we didn't sing Charles Wesley songs. We sang revivalistic songs. And so I can't say, oh, that was the back. You can't say that was the back of your mind. You learned that when you were a child. No. It came, in fact, I was singing. I said to my husband, what, wait, 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 I said that tune, but couldn't remember any of the rest of the words. And then Googled it, and we both were trying to sing, and I was crying at 11 o'clock at night. It sounded horrible. But it was like my heart and my love for Jesus. Here he was. My name is written on his hand. It didn't matter what all those people said. didn't matter what they were doing. It didn't matter anything. That was what mattered. My name was written on his hand. Yes. And uh, I love music. I can't sing a lick, but I do love music. And uh, God reminded me or brought me um, to the old song day by day and with each passing yes. moment. And the, the depth and the richness of some of those hymns, uh, I hope we continue to teach those. Yes, exactly. Because many, many times that calling, Jesus calling me, I'll wake up in the morning, here's a hymn on my mind. And I'm, I know that has come from God through the night. Yeah. And and I, I realize that. Dr. Lyon, could I call on you for a special personal favor? Would you mind praying for us here at Living Hope Wesleyan Church, for our family, as we continue to show God's love in a practical way in a world that desperately needs his hope and during a week that people are That's open right. to who Jesus is? I'm honored to. Dear Lord, I thank you for Pastor Jeff Fuller. And I thank you for all the people at New Hope Church uh, in Vermont. I thank you for the way that you're moving through every one of them. You're, you're, you're calling them this week in a special way. And you're calling them to joy. You're calling them to understand who you are, but the gratefulness and the joy that we have of the resurrection power in all of us. I pray a special anointing on the service Easter service Sunday. I pray anointing on Pastor Jeff, as he preaches, and I pray anointing on every single person that shows up and may they be surprised at the people that come and the people that respond, because you, this day we live in a day that people are hungry and are looking for hope 
and their name, the very name of the church says, we have hope, so come here. So I praise you for that. And I thank you for all that you're going to do this Sunday. We, You said we could, you wanna do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. So we're just imagining right now a great outpouring of your spirit and a great number of people that are there to rejoice in you and know they found your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dr. Lyon, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be with you.